Hello and welcome to the American College of Osteopathic Internists podcast. Doc's off the clock. Juggling the business of medicine and caring for patients means doctors always seem to be on the clock. Doc's off the clock features some of today's best voices in healthcare with tips on how to live a better, balanced life. Thank you for stopping by today. I'm Scott Webb, and joining me today to discuss his experiences in Ukraine is infectious disease expert Dr. Mark Allen Derry. Dr. Derry, it's great to speak with you again. We spoke a while back. We watched some videos. I think that was on HIV. But today we're talking about your work in Ukraine. And I know folks in the area may know you best from your work as an infectious disease expert, right? And your efforts during the pandemic, during COVID. But tell us about your background a bit and how it informed your decision to go to Ukraine to help. As I was training as a resident and ultimately to go into infectious diseases, I took a small detour and studied and worked in the field of trauma and actually was an emergency medicine physician for about 10 years before I gave all that up and went full-time infectious diseases. So I had about 10 years of working as a trauma physician, mostly on a helicopter, kind of doing the drop-in on interstates or something where there was a motorcycle accident or doing rescues, getting people out of jams. Maybe they fell into like a ditch or whatever, just that sort of stuff. And that's always been a passion of mine and trauma has always been a passion of mine. When I went into infectious diseases, it was time for me to start doing that just because trauma, as I often say, is a young person's sport. But when I got the phone call to go to Ukraine, it was time that I dusted off my trauma bona fides and it was time to head back. Yeah, and I watched a piece on you, and I know you do a lot of media, and you're very good at this, so it, it always helps to have somebody on, an expert on, who's good at answering questions. But one of the things I learned from watching you and hearing you was that, you know, there are certainly are doctors in Ukraine, but a lot of them are family doctors, like primary care physicians who aren't necessarily trained, don't have that same background that you have. And so that's one of the things you've been doing, right, is working with them, trying to bring them up to speed, you know, as quickly as you can, and unfortunately, the situation that they're in, to help them with trauma cases, with the cases that are inherent in this type of conflict, right? Yeah, 100%. So when we got to Ukraine, initially it was to do evacuating individuals from the parts of the country that are affected by conflict. And that was the original purpose, and to a large degree still is, for the entity that sent me out there, which is the Swiss Foundation for Innovation. But when we got there, the Ministry of Health was very clear to us that while transportation and evacuation was still a main priority, especially for civilians and injured civilians, it became very clear that their trauma doctors were busy managing trauma. And what they needed help with was trauma physicians teaching other healthcare workers, other non-trauma-based physicians, nurses, medical students, nursing students, whoever, it's all hands on deck, the basics of trauma. And a large part of this is born out of the necessity that civilian installations are being directly targeted in this war. It's not just the Russian Federation are targeting the Ukrainian military. Not that at all. These are, in fact, war crimes, and I've documented, and the majority of this, and certainly reporters who do this for a living have documented this as well, and those war crimes will be adjudicated at another time, I'm certain. But the fact that civilian installations are being directly targeted here has made it such that physicians are finding themselves maybe next door to a building that has been missiled and collapsed and everybody's looking at that doctor to do something and that doctor may be a psychiatrist or maybe a pediatrician (laughs) 
They, yeah. Somebody who's never, or a pathologist, somebody who's never done anything like this. And fortunately, trauma is there's some very basic things that you can do that can save lives. If somebody's bleeding, you stop the bleed. Well, how do you stop the bleed? There are tricks that you can do to do that. How do you make sure that somebody's cervical spine remains intact after they may have fallen, let's say in a building that was missiled? Or what happens if somebody's shot? So there are these basic things that we can do in terms of training individuals. And what we did is we set up a course called the Armed Conflict Trauma Training Course. And the idea was to teach physicians all across Ukraine using Zoom, the basic skills of pre-hospital medicine and how to save lives in the setting of armed conflict. Obviously, education is a big component here. And maybe you can talk about the three components, you know, the really the inspiration, what you're trying to achieve, uh, what all of you are trying to achieve besides, obviously, independence and all of that. But for you, for the doctors, you know, the frontline sort of healthcare workers there, what are the goals? Yeah, goals were essentially was to take a bit of the learning that they've done because a majority of the clinicians probably have taken some form of advanced trauma life support. And in that advanced trauma life support, they may have remembered kind of these basics that we all learn in medical school or whatever, which is ABC, right? Airway, breathing, circulation. So if a physician comes upon somebody who's injured and they start focusing on, they're like, oh, what do I do? A, ABC, airway. But if they're bleeding, the bleeding actually takes the priority on top of that airway. So one of the main things that we were trying to do was show them that the advanced trauma life support is good, but that's just really a foundation to build new information upon in the setting of armed conflict. So it was stop the bleeding. It's remove a weapon from somebody if they have it. Basic things that doctors don't think about because we're not trained in the military. We're not trained in the setting of armed conflict. But one of the things and one of the suppositions that we are considering is that we will probably be seeing more armed conflict as we move forward in time. I mean, climate change is going to probably force migrations of people around the world, water shortages, food shortages, and we're going to probably see some destabilization more and more as time goes on. And so the development of this class into something that's more standardized is a huge goal for us. We really did have excellent buy-in. The College of Emergency Physicians partnered with us. The, the Department of Defense partnered with us. The Harvard Humanitarian Initiative partnered with us as well. So we really had these amazing partners that really saw the big vision of the necessity to teach physicians how to manage themselves in a pre-hospital setting during armed conflict. What would you like Americans to know about the fighting there since you've been there, the goals ultimately of the Ukrainians in this conflict, and how folks can get involved and help if they're moved to do so, which I'm sure they are? Essentially, the goals amongst Ukrainians are, of course, to rid themselves of the Russian Federation. The southern part of Ukraine borders the Black Sea, so there's all these thousands of little port cities and towns, and this is where all the refineries are. These are where all the major ports are, and this is how Ukraine is able to remain such a you know, rich country because they're able to transport goods in and out of the country. And of course, the Russian Federation wants that. That's what they're looking for. And so they're initially taking a little bit by little bit in 2014, 
they took some of the Donsk region, what's called the Donbass, the Donsk Donbass, that's the Ukrainian word for region. They were able to take that region because there were still a lot of people there who were sympathetic toward the Russian Federation. But since February 24th, uh, when the Russian Federation first invaded Ukraine, they are now going into places, mostly the eastern portion of the country. And this is where you're seeing a majority of conflict occur. Because they do have ships in the Black Sea, and because Belarus is friendly with the Russian Federation, Russia is able to send rockets into central Ukraine, as well as northern Ukraine, as well through Belarus or through the Black Sea. There's large regions of the country that we've been to that have been bombed uh, as well, especially the capital city, Kiev, which initially the Russian Federation made an immediate beeline for thinking that they could take it. One of the things that's the most surprising of all here is just how unprepared the Russian Federation is in terms of the military. I think that there was a sense that the Russian Federation had a strong military force, and they probably do in numbers just because the country is so large that they're able to recruit anybody they want. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're willing to fight one and two, they're just not prepared. And that's largely due to the fact that they don't give real information to Putin, because we do know that Putin, if he gets information that he's not happy with, he will oftentimes take him out on the messenger, rather than actually creating good military plans. And so what we are finding is that you have a David and Goliath situation, but Goliath here, the monster here is the Russian Federation, and they are grossly unprepared. They are grossly incompetent, and you are fighting people on their own land. And when you're fighting people on their own land, and you're putting people in a situation where they have nothing else to lose, they're going to fight aggressively. And so what you're finding is that men and women <laughs> are on the front line fighting aggressively. The entire country supports the Ukrainian military here. They have donation boxes everywhere. And it's really a DIY donation. I mean, they, the military is literally being funded by pennies or dimes at a time. It's pretty remarkable. And then, of course, the Ukrainian president, President Zelensky, who was the John Stewart of his time, playing in the John Stewart-like TV program as a comedian, knows how to tell stories. He knows how to inspire the Ukrainian people. And he's done an amazing job inspiring people. So if people do want to donate, donating directly to the Ukrainian military is a great way to do it. And certainly the organization that sent me was the Swiss Foundation for Innovation. That's Swiss Foundation for Innovation, and that's SFI.org. And they are a tremendous organization. And you know that if you do donate to them, that money will go directly into the Ukrainian programming that they are doing currently right now with respect to evacuating uh, innocent civilians who've been injured in the war. Well, it's been great to speak with you today. You know, you always seem to be fighting the good fight, whether it's HIV, COVID, Ukraine, you always seem to be on the front lines or certainly near them, helping, teaching. It's really amazing. So thanks so much for your time and your efforts, and you stay well. Thank you so much. And thank you for spending a little time with us today. We look forward to future podcasts where we'll continue to explore issues of importance to you. For additional information, please contact the ACOI directly at 1-800-327-5183 or by visiting our website at acoi.org. You can also email us at acoi at acoi.org. And until next time, be well.